From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Unconquered with Doc Staples. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing you the best of internet marketing and website development for an affordable price. By Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, and Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida. And okay, after a couple of weeks of just holding your breath, making sure you're hoping that important players stay healthy or get healthier, and you don't do anything stupid, the the really the other really, really big game week of the first month and really of the regular season for Florida State up until you get to rivalry weeks with Miami and Florida is here. So we are going to do our Clemson preview. Now, this should have been the marquee matchup of the weekend. Now, the weekend has some pretty good matchups now. I think that uh, that Ohio State-Notre Dame game may well decide a playoff participant there. For my money, I think actually Notre Dame is the, is probably the better team right now. But anyway, uh, be interested to see what happens there. But this should have been the marquee matchup of the weekend. It should have been the 8 o'clock game, should have been game day there, everything else. But Clemson did spoil that at Duke by laying an egg in the opener. So now it's a nooner. And a couple things worthy of note. I did point this out previously. Duke runs basically the same offense in a very similar defensive system to, to what FSU does. So, and, and that's because, again, Kevin Johns, who's Duke's offensive coordinator, was Mike Norvell's offensive coordinator at Memphis, running Mike Norvell's offense. And then he took that offense, and that's what they're running at Duke. And Adam Fuller runs basically the same system as Mike Elko, even down to the names of calls. I mean, he, he spent some time, a good amount of time with Elko and basically runs a very, very similar system there. I don't think run, I don't think he calls it or runs it as well as Elko, but you know, that's, that's a pretty high bar. I think Elko is one of the best defensive coordinators, best defensive minds in college football. So that's a big ask. Now there's some advantage to that in that you got a chance to see what Duke did and did not have success with against Clemson in that opener. So you get to see actually a less talented version of yourself, essentially playing against Clemson. And you say, well, you know, they, they were able to do that. And Clemson struggled with that a little bit. Okay. Well, that's, you know, put a pin in that, you know, oh well, Clemson did well on that, but you know, we'll see, you know, can they match up with this guy? You, you start to be able to see a lot of, okay, well, they, when they saw this look defensively, they liked to do this. So that gives you a lot to get a lot to go on. I mean, thinking about it from Florida State's side, that's a, that's a nice, a really nice thing to see. So some advantage to that. Now on the flip side, Clemson also got to see what worked for Duke and what didn't work and what they, what they needed to clean up against a lot of what Duke did. So in that respect, maybe they shore up some of those weaknesses that they may not have been able to, uh, to, to notice or work on quite as hard if Duke had not, if they'd not already played Duke. So in this, in that sense, it's a disadvantage and, you know, they're going to prepare accordingly. They're going to say, okay, well, Florida state saw a struggle with this. So they're probably going to want to do some of the same stuff. 
So this turns into, you know, the princess bride problem of, well, I clearly can't drink the, from the cup in front of you. <laughs> but, you know, you would know that I am not a great fool, you know, all of that. So, you know, the, the, it still ends up being one of those of who comes out with the right wrinkles to take advantage of what was put on film in that game. And I think that's that's going to be an interesting chess match coming into this game because, again, Duke did expose some things that Clemson struggled with, some of which really bodes well for Florida State coming into this game. And And the question is, can Clemson close close down some of those issues now we're going to we're going to cover the florida state defense against the clemson offense first and of course this is the side of the ball with a, a good bit more intrigue this year because of Dabo sweeney finally going outside the the clemson family when things finally got bad enough offensively when they were not efficient enough to compete at the level that he knows they need to be at in order to, to continue winning ACC uh, championships and, and making playoff appearances and potentially winning national titles. They've been nowhere near offensively what they've needed to be to be at that level. And he knew it, he knew they'd slipped. And so he went and he hired one of the, one of the really big names out there. And he hadn't done this since going all the way back to the Chad when he hired Chad Morris after they really struggled. And then when they went to Chad Morris offense, all of a sudden they took off and they've run essentially the Chad's offense ever since some version of it. And, you know, they've, there's been some iteration of it, but it basically became the Clemson offense. And then, you know, things got really stale and they didn't have the personnel basically to run something quite so simple. Uh, and so they decided to go and get Garrett Riley. Of course, the brother of Lincoln Riley, runs a pretty pretty dang good offense and an offense that uh performed pretty well last year at at TCU really they they played above their overall talent level on in terms of making to making it to the uh national championship game and uh he didn't, he was a big part of that so this is very much a Garrett Riley to the rescue kind of situation and of course partnering with former five-star quarterback Cade Klubnick the golden boy taking over from uh previous whipping boy, uh, DJ Uyungalale, who never quite panned out there. And frankly, I mean, we talked about this a couple of years ago on this podcast. I never quite understood why Uyungalale actually went to Clemson to begin with. I always thought he was a bad fit for what they did. And it turned out that he was indeed a bad fit for what they did, but you know, he's now back on the left coast and, uh, I think better off for that. And now Clemson, I think, thinks that they're better off with, with Klubnik. I know certainly there's been a lot of expectation that Klubnik is going to be a significant improvement. I'm a bit more, I, I have more questions about whether Klubnik is actually an improvement and whether DJ was actually the problem, but we'll we'll get more into that in a moment. Now, on the whole, Clemson's offensive success rate on the season has been very good. They've 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 been a solid and consistent offense all season. Even in the Duke game, their their overall success rate was pretty good. Looking at the numbers here, their overall success rate on the day uh was what, 51.8% against Duke. And Duke's overall success rate was only 42.2%. 
So just for perspective, the national average is about 47 and a half. Anything over 51% success rates, pretty good offensively. They were good in that respect. And they've been consistent on that all season. Thing that's really been missing for them for the most part and was definitely missing for them against Duke is the big plays. They've not created a bunch of big plays. And, and in that game, Duke's big play percent was 15.6. Clemson's was 7.2. 7% big play percentage is not big time offense. And that's one of the reasons they got beat. And that's why, you know, that that paired with the poor red zone conversion, the ill-timed turnovers and all of that, that doomed them. I mean, they were, they were one point, uh, they were one point per possession once they got the ball inside the Duke 40, Duke was three points per possession once they got inside Clemson's 30. That was the difference in the game. And a big part of that was Duke, Clemson just didn't get the big plays to put the ball in the end zone, to score. They stayed on schedule. They were pretty good. And then they just they had a couple of mistakes that cost them drives and ultimately cost them the game. And that's that's basically been how the, how the year has gone for them. They've been much more of a consistent, you know, stay ahead of the chains success rate offense than they've been a big play offense so far this year. And again, that it's hard to tell a little bit with the last couple games because they they played against such overmatched competition. But, but anyway, now they were also, and on the year, this is even true against the, against the lesser competition. They've been pretty poor on passing downs against Duke. They, uh, they were, let's see, on passing downs, they were 28% success rate on passing downs and 3.64 yards per play on passing downs. So those are long yardage plays where, you know, you don't expect a team to run the ball. That's, that's, not, that's not great. Now, on neutral downs, they were 62.1% success rate and 5.71 yards per play. That's excellent. That's really good. If your success rate on standard downs, on neutral downs, is 62.1%, you are absolutely one of the best in the country in that in that number. Now, part of that is that they are, I think, better as a run-blocking unit than they were last year. I think offensive their offensive line is, is decent. And then they've got a pair of really good backs. And obviously, Florida State saw that last year when uh, really it was the backs that, that did it, you know, when when push came to shove, Will Shipley got the tough yards last year. Phil Moffa is a pretty dang good backup. They've got some quality backs, and you put those behind that offensive line. And for all the air raid stuff and bringing you know some of the even some of the uh, the Bryles type stuff to the table in terms of the passing game that that Garrett Riley brings Denton brings to the table, he runs the football. They they find ways to run the football. That's what they do, and they're pretty good at it. They they did it at TCU. He's done it elsewhere. And that's what they're going to bring to the table at Clemson and their stuff percentage. So how often they get stuffed on uh, for, a, you know, basically a gain of one yard or zero yards on run plays. It's 21% national average. There's 30%. So that's pretty good. But again, their issue is that they've lacked big plays. And I think that boils down to the very thing that I pointed to at the beginning of the season when I walked through FSU schedule and I said, this is why I think Florida State should be favored over Clemson coming into this season. I just, I didn't think that they had Clemson level wide receivers on the roster. You know, your 
New Cop, uh, your uh, New Copkins, your Sammy Watkins, your T Higgins, all of those guys that Mike Williams, they, you know, they they just were a factory for years of that kind of player. And I don't think they have one of those guys on their roster. I think Florida State has two on on theirs of those kind of guys. And so far, the results on the season have not changed my opinion. You know, Bo Collins, 6'3", outside receiver, is their main outside guy. And, and he does kind of look the part. I mean, he's 6'3", he's got, you know, he's about 215 or so. Looks real good, but he just has not been special to date. And the hope there is that he he breaks out and that he becomes that guy. And for all we know, he could be he could break out against Florida State and become that guy. But so far hasn't been that guy. Their best wide receiver has been Antonio Williams, who was their best last year. It's a five eleven slot. He's the guy with 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 the wheels, and you have to take him away. In my view, if you're gonna if you're gonna have success against them, you really have to take him away to make Klubnik uncomfortable, make Klubnik throw the ball downfield to the outside receivers a little bit more, take away his interior options with Antonio Williams and 6'6 tight end Jake Brinningstool. Brinningstool's a guy who came alive a bit last week. And to me, if I'm Clemson, I I try to go there more to Brinningstool against Florida State's linebackers and safeties, especially after what I saw last week. I think, you you know, get him isolated against Kevin Knowles and see how Knowles likes going against a 6'6 tight end. Now, it's not like he doesn't have practice against that at Florida State, but still, I, I think that's a matchup that that you like. And the starter on the other side, Cole Turner, is isn't going to play in this game. I, I understand he. I think he's out for the year, so so he's done. And you know they have high hopes about his backup, Adam Randall, who's six two two twenty five, and again really looks the part. But again, it hasn't happened yet. So I think that's been a big a big part of this. They they want to run basically what TCU ran last year, but they don't have the the receivers that TCU had. They don't have the speed out wide that TCU had. And, you know, so what they're what they're having to do is they're having to hang their hat on being really good down to down and staying ahead of the chains. And their running running game has been good. And so far in the year, they've been mostly zone based by my count, about 150 or so of their 236 run plays. So they the 236 is a is obviously that's a number that I didn't count, but about 150 of their 236 run plays has been some version of inside zone or zone read, you know, split zone, inside zone, zone read, that sort of thing. That's about 60% of their run game offense is some version of inside zone and, and the various iterations off of that. They've run a few outside zones, but not all that many. And then there, there's been some counter and power, more counter than power. And they do run them just not as often as they, they have in the past. I mean, in the past, in the Chad Morris offense, when Clemson got in trouble, they started running quarterback counter. That's that was their go-to when they started really getting when they didn't have answers. They'd run quarterback counter on you, get the numbers back, and you know Deshaun Watson or the Elf or somebody like that uh, would you know be, was a, would would run between the tackles and find ways to to get them ahead of the chains, and especially on short yardage or goal line, that's what they'd go to. A little different now. They 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 haven't run that nearly so much, and when they did have to force some stuff in on the goal line against uh, against Duke. And also even last week where they got stuffed a couple times, it was not quarterback counter that they went to, which was interesting. 
They do run the ball a bunch on first down. So they've run the ball 59 times on first down versus 55 passes. Now that's a little skewed because of the blowouts, but that's still going to put you close to 50%, even when garbage time is removed. So that's more than the norm in terms of running the football on first down. And I expect to see that stay. So all of that is the surrounding cast, but a lot of this just kind of comes back to, to Cade Klubnik. And, you know, these, these are the kind of games that the, the level of your quarterback has a lot to do with whether or not you win this kind of game. So we're about to find out a lot about Cade Klubnik and whether or not he is the player that, you know, Clemson fans and, uh, and coaching staff and everybody hope he is. I'm, I've got my, I'm, I'm skeptical. And the reason I'm skeptical is he's a good thrower. Like when you watch him in warmups, when you watch him, when he's got a clean pocket and all that, he throws a pretty ball. You watch his high school tape and all that pretty ball. But even going back to high school, I had questions about him. And, you know, I, I liked the kid that, uh, that Texas A&M took over him. I mean, I've liked Wegman from the beginning over him. Uh, I actually preferred AJ Duffy over him. Now I might've been wrong about that, but I don't know yet. I'm not sure. And, you know, again, a pretty, pretty, pretty good thrower of the ball when he's clean. So when he's been kept clean on the year, I'll just, I'll just throw these, these figures out there. When he's been kept clean on the year, he's, he's had about a 60% success rate and about 130 NFL passer rating. That's pretty good when he's kept clean under pressure. (laughs) That's been different. When he's been under pressure, he's had a 30% success rate and a 34 passer rating when pressured. That's, that's not good. And he's struggled in general on passing downs when, again, when teams expect you to throw, when you have to throw. He's been much better on neutral downs when they're throwing because they want to, not because they have to. This is ultimately, I think the, the end result here, or the, the thing that I keep seeing is Klubnik is a guy who just simply does not like pressure in his face. He, he really, really does not like getting hit. He doesn't like feeling pressure. He's not used to it. Some guys, they just, they, 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 they feel it. They step away from it. They just have a knack for it. Klubnik looks to me like a guy who just doesn't like it and isn't used to it and, and isn't really interested in getting used to it. And when he gets pressure in his face, he will throw the ball to the other team. Some to me, the, the, the key of facing Cade Klubnik is making sure that when he drops back to pass, you get interior push, you get interior rushers that, that he can see that he can feel to his face and he's going to have problems. Now, if I'm Clemson, I'm coming into this game trying to imitate very much what Boston College did. Might do some different formational stuff. You know, personnel's a little different. But I'm basically trying to to pound Florida State between the tackles. Maybe run a little more stretch than I have on the season. You know, inside zone might not be the way to go, but Boston College had some success with inside zone so and, and split zone and certainly zone read type stuff, although they did more, you know, sort of a power uh, or they did more like quarterback counter type stuff and, and a little bit of, of that sort of thing, but still 
you know, maybe a little more stretch so that I can get some uh, some of the the play action boot stuff off of that. But I'm trying to run the backs between the tackle tackles and and try to bully Florida State up front. It's interesting because you know LSU really didn't try that. Not not after they got you know handled inside the <laughs> inside the red zone a couple times at least. But to me. I'm doing that and I'm using formation and motion to cause confusion and try to gain a gap here and there. That's what, that's what BC did. And they did it with some success. I'm also, I, I don't think Clemson wins this game without Klubnik running the football and running it pretty well. So I'm running the, I'm running the quarterback and then I'm using the tight end slots and backs against the linebackers and safeties, especially in play action. I'm just hoping to get some busts, reduced splits, bunch, do different things with formation to create some confusion and try to get some busts, especially on the interior against those backers and safeties. And when Klubnik is on long yardage, that sort of thing, try to get him out of the pocket on waggles, on boots, that sort of thing. He's a pretty good thrower on the move as long as he's not under a lot of pressure. So I'd try to design stuff to get him away from whatever pressure Florida State might bring. And I'm doing my dead level best if I'm Clemson to avoid passing downs at all costs. And even if I get to passing downs, as long as I'm still in the ball game, I'm probably running it on passing downs. Just run a draw. Now, if I'm Florida State defensively, that means I'm committing to stopping the run on first down. I think you win this game by getting Clemson to long yardage and where you can affect Klubnik, and I think you can force some turnovers. To me, that means you involve the safeties in the running game, maybe even a little more than normal. You challenge Clemson to win over the top to beat your corners. To me, you give up one or two deep balls, and ideally you make some tackles on those deep balls, but you give up a, you know, even three or four potential deep balls. You might you you give up a couple of those for some more run stops and the opportunity to get Klubnik to throw to your team. I'm, I'm willing to make that trade. I'm willing to trade a long touchdown for a couple interceptions in this game. And that means I'm willing to rotate more, uh, a decent amount to middle of the field, closed stuff. So single high, uh, you know, your match three, your, you know, rip Liz type stuff, doing some, uh, some robber type type coverages. Basically, get and, and the nice thing about robbers, if you run it right, you're giving your your uh, underneath coverage some help on the inside of the field, where I think Klubnik is most likely to to have some success otherwise. And then you know you stay in your cover seven base a decent amount as well. Just have those safeties trigger against the run pretty well, and let your corners and your slots know they'd better win because the safeties are going to come downhill and try to stop the run a little bit faster than normal. And I think you use some safety pressures and again, rotate. These are the fire zone type things that I, I think if, if anything else against mobile quarterbacks, that's that I, you know, coming out of the hot takes podcast against Boston college, I said, you know, screw all the, the spy stuff that they're doing. They shouldn't be doing any of that. Just run more true fire zone type things. And I'm a happy camper. And, you know, I still think that, that, you know, haven't, haven't changed my opinion as uh, Sean Connery would say. To me, that that's that's a good approach even here, even though, again, you're not really treating Klubnik as a true running quarterback. He is a th- run threat, but you're trying to get pressure. 
bringing five and, and having, having a match three behind it is not the worst idea. So to me, the, the goal is to get Clemson into longer yardage and then you get some inside pressure. What, you know, what you're hoping to do is, is make Klubnik feel that inside pressure and flush him from the pocket and, and chase. And I think when he's flushed and chased, his eyes come down a little bit and he is a pretty good thrower on the run, but he, he, he's a guy that you want, you want to feel that pressure. I think his heart rate gets up and, and, and you do that. I think get this game to longer yardage and you're going to force some turnovers. You're going to win the game. Now, in terms of what I think is actually going to happen defensively, I do think Florida State's going to have its hands full against Clemson's running game because this is a good running game. And those are good backs. But this is the game where I think you you play, love it, you know, the extra 15, 20 snaps that you need from him. You you know, you play verse as many snaps as, as he can go well. Uh, I think you play Edmonds. Uh, Gilbert Edmond, uh, no S on that Gilbert Edmond, uh, a, a bit more at the big end to, to really force against the, against their, uh, their running game. I think you go big up front, you know, you move, this is one of those games where, uh, you do some of the extra stuff with, uh, the extra defensive tackle on the field with, with Fisk bumping outside and Briggs coming on the field so that, you know, you've got say verse, love it. Uh, Briggs and Fisk all out there together. Or Verse, Lovett, Farmer, and, Fri- and and Fisk. You do some of that in this game on first down. Uh, I, I think you do go a little bigger against them to try to to try to force them out of being able to to push you around up front. And I do expect essentially Florida State to to look more like they did against LSU defensively in this one. I think Clemson has a better offensive line than LSU overall. LSU obviously has the better left tackle, but I think across the full five Clemson has fewer weaknesses up front than LSU did. And they've got much better backs. Now LSU had way better wide receivers, a better tight end and a much more dangerous quarterback. Now one who also didn't like to get pressed to, to be under pressure. So that, that much was in common. And, you know, Florida state gave up 4.1, uh, 4.19 yards per play rushing against LSU. Now, 90 of that was was Daniels on 15 carries. Interesting thing. LSU only handed it off to the backs 12 times in that game. So it'll look different in that respect because I think think you're going to see about uh, three times that from Clemson. They're going to probably give it to their backs 30 carries or so. You know, the, the way that that changes is if FSU gets up enough to where they force him to throw a little bit more then that number goes down a little bit. But I think, Cle- I think Clemson stays committed to the run and they're going to give it to those guys, you know, 30 times. And I do think Florida state winds up giving up about four yards a carry on the day. So right around a draw there and about the same amount per carry that they gave up to Clemson, including all of Daniel's stuff. But where I think it's a little different is I think Florida state is going to be able to bottle up Clemson's passing attack. And I think they'll give up about five yards per play in the passing game. I mean, last year, Clemson was 5.52 yards per play in the passing game. I think it's going to be comparable to that this year. And I think they'll get a couple turnovers out of it too. So that's that side of the ball. Now on the offensive side of the ball for Florida State against the Clemson defense, you're still going against the Clemson defense. It's been really, really good. Now they've not been quite as good as they were a couple of years ago. I mean, Venables had, Venables is, is a really, really good defensive coach. Let's be honest. I think they I think their coordinator's pretty good. 
but again, comparing him to Venables is that's a tough that's a tough bar to clear. And you know, I don't think they've had they've got quite the personnel that they had a couple of years ago either. I mean, I think Rucororo and Tyler Davis they're good defensive tackles. I mean, they're toward the top end of the of the ACC, but that's not Christian Wilkins or Dexter Lawrence out there at defensive tackle. You know, you look at their defensive line and it's good, but it's not what it was in 2016 or in 2018. Now, freshman Peter Woods, I think he's a freak. That defensive tackle, the freshman defensive tackle they've got. But it's a good thing to catch him now in the first month of the season compared to the end of the year. Now, you might have to play him at the end of the year anyway, but you might not, thanks to Duke. Thanks to that first loss. So, you know, you'd rather play him now. And again, I think, you know, they've got good defensive tackles, but not guys that are a cut above what you've been facing in practice. For your, for, for your defensive line. And I don't think those, those defensive tackles are better than LSU's, even without Mason Smith. I think LSU's defensive line and defensive tackles are on par with what Clemson's putting out there. And again, you, you know, same, same with the set of linebackers that you played against with LSU, although LSU foolishly took Perkins out of the game by using him as a spy, which again, I do not understand why, why coordinators do that so much but whatever uh that's my prevent defense you know you have people that get really upset about you know they went into prevent and all it does is preventing prevent winning the the spy thing is is my that's that's one of my things on this drives me crazy uh if you couldn't tell from the last couple podcasts right but uh they've got i think the best set of linebackers in the acc now interestingly those backers actually struggled a little bit against duke duke was able to play do some things to cause them some trouble and they've given up some games in the passing or some plays in the passing game, even the last couple weeks. And then, you know, their ends, Xavier Thomas, what, sixth year now, and Justin Mascall. They're good ends, but again, they've not been as productive so far as you might have expected. Certainly not as productive as when those guys were, in, were, were being recruited. But you're still going to have to control them and keep them from wrecking you on the edge. But I think FSU finally has the tackles to be able to do, to be able to hold up at least a little bit against those guys. You compare where they are this year in terms of the tackle situation compared to last year when you went into this game where you had a banged up Robert Scott, where Scott is still banged up, but he may be in position to play in this one and provide some depth. But you had a banged up Robert Scott. At least you got a a healthy Bless Harris in there. And then on the right side, you had Turnitin last year compared uh, compared to Jeremiah Byers. And that's been a night and day difference. Now, Turnitin, look, I mean, he was he 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 was a really important player for Florida State and was a key reason that that team wound up winning 10 games. But you had to protect him against Clemson and he he got he he struggled against Clemson. I don't think I mean I think Byers will will you know he'll give up a player too, but I don't think he's going to go out there and struggle the way that they did at the right tackle position last year. That's a that's a big difference coming into this game. Now, g- looking at the at the at the Duke game, one of the things that was really surprising is they had some they had some things that they struggled to stop and weren't the sort of things that you'd expect a Clemson defense to struggle so much to stop. One was they could not stop counter to save their lives. They they got gashed when Duke ran counter. I mean their 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 defensive success rate had to be something like 30% against against Duke when they faced counter. Well, that bodes well for Florida State. Florida State loves counter. So be interesting to see if that changes in this one. And then the other thing is that they gave up some huge plays 
in the quarterback running game. And, you know, again, that Duke's quarterback is very similar in terms of playing style to, to uh, Jordan Travis. And as a runner, Riley Leonard is, is very much, he's very much like Jordan Travis and they had a hard time with him. So if you look at what they struggled with most against Duke, those are two things that bode very well for Florida state coming into this. They couldn't stop Florida state's bread and butter run play. Although FSU hasn't run it as much this year by percentage of, of plays as they did last year. I mean, it's a, they've run, uh, they run zone. They run inside zone a, a, almost as often as counter this year. But look, if they can run counter on you, they're going to keep doing it. So both of those bode well for Florida State. Now, to me, this matchup comes down to a few things. One is, can Florida State match the rushing success that Duke had, especially late in that game? If they can, this game is going to get really, this game could get ugly. Then the other thing that's related to that is can Clemson limit Jordan Travis legs while also taking away the rest of the ground game and sacrificing too much in the secondary? Because this is a game where I think FSU basically turns Travis loose. And that's going to mean that Clemson's going to have to to really focus on starting to take that away. And they're going to get some one-on-ones between Two really good corners, Sheridan Jones and Nate Wiggins. Both are got both are probably going to play on Sundays. And they're going against two guys that are going to play on Sundays too, and Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson. Florida State's going to get one-on-ones in this game. Are Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson going to win those those matchups and consistently come down with the ball? Can they do what Wake did last year against Clemson and just dominate those one-on-ones? Wake almost beat Clemson just because Clemson couldn't stop their outside receivers. And Jaheim Bell's going to get some one-on-ones against backers and safeties. Can Florida State win those one-on-ones? Or, or can Clem- is, is Clemson going to win enough of those one-on-ones to survive? So that's what I think this matchup comes down to. Now, if I'm FSU, I come out in this game establishing the quarterback run game. So counter read, that sort of thing. And RPO game and some deep shots off of that. Off of, off of play action, knowing I'm going to get some single coverage. And to me, you turn Jordan Travis loose in this game and force them to respect that, and you're setting up some big plays on, on, from the backs on counter, on counter read. You're setting up some big plays on, on some of the play action type stuff as Clemson has to bring some safeties down and do some things to, to basically keep Travis from running, running wild. And I think ultimately FSU has some matchup advantages on this side of the ball. Get some big play. I think they can get some big plays like Duke did, but I think they can also stay on schedule a little better than Duke did though. They haven't stayed on schedule all that well this year, but I do think that this is a week where they're able to get some of those little things cleaned up in the run game. And I think you're going to see some of that, improve a little bit, especially with Jordan Travis starting to keep the football a little bit this week. So that brings us then to the summary and predictions part of the show. I think, well, let's take a step back. Florida State last year, offensively against Clemson, 
averaged 6.05 yards per play and and actually ran the ball for 6.06 yards per rush in 2022. I think given some of the changes that have been made here, essentially Clemson is very similar, basically the same defense that they had personnel wise last year, very similar, but Florida state is better up front with buyers instead of Turnitin at right tackle with Harris rather than a gimpy Robert Scott at left tackle. And then we'll see if Maurice Smith plays at center. I think if well Washington's in at center, they're not quite as good at center as they were last year. And then, you know, at guard, they're 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 let's we'll just call that a wash from last year. But I think the tackles make a difference there. And then last year you didn't have Jaheim Bell and Keon Coleman. And you still put up six point oh five yards per play and six yards per rush. Six point oh six yards per rush last year. I think that winds up stretching to around seven yards per play in this game. And ultimately, if we're evaluating this game, even if the game winds up being around even on the line of scrimmage, or even if Clemson has a slight advantage there on the line of scrimmage, and I actually think Florida State has a slight edge if you're looking at the line of scrimmage on, uh, you know, between the two sides of the ball. You know, Clemson, I think defensively, their defensive line, probably a slight edge over Florida State's offensive line. And I think Florida State's defensive line and, and backers, probably a slight edge over Clemson's offensive line. So I think that ends up being about even. But I think FSU is is closer to to even between their offensive line and Clemson's defensive line than vice versa. But even if Clemson has a slight edge there, Florida State's the team that has the playmakers that create more mismatches. So look, Clemson's running backs are legit. They're really good. They are really, really good. And we saw that last year. You know, we saw that all last year. Will Shipley, Maffa, those guys, Phil Maffa, those guys are really, really good players. And so you might give Clemson's running backs the, the edge there. And certainly against, if you put the running backs, say against Florida State's linebackers, you give you give Clemson's running backs the edge. Now Benson, Hill, Toafili, they're going to have their say. I mean, they they could match up pretty well there. But I think Clemson's backers are better than Florida State's by a good bit, healthy margin. So you got you know a, a, some advantage there, but that starts to even out a little bit if the defensive lines basically have a little bit little bit of an edge against those offensive lines. But here's where I think the biggest, if you look at where the biggest difference is between those two teams and who where the biggest mismatches are, I think Florida State has the wide receivers and tight end, and you look at Jaheim Bell on top of that. With Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, and Jaheim Bell, Florida State has the players who create the mismatches in this game and the big playmakers. I think they're the team that is going to be able to find ways to create bigger plays. And as good as Clemson's backs are, Benson is more likely to be the guy to break away for a long run than anybody else in terms of that. The the playmakers, the the game-breaking type players are wearing garnet and gold. And I think this is one of those games where Clemson winds up having to fight for every inch, for every yard, whereas Florida State's able to get some chunk plays. And I think eventually the playmakers in this kind of game tend to be the difference. Because the team that it just looks easier for one team because they've got they've got guys where, well, he got his hands on it and you know, Keon Coleman just went for another twenty-five. 
versus, well, that was a really tough run for five yards. And I think that's basically the difference in this game. And that doesn't even factor the quarterback position where it's Jordan Travis versus Cade Klubnik. And based on what I've seen so far in, in their careers, now Travis has not played well this year. I've talked about that already. Travis, you know, even against, against LSU, you know, he put up great numbers, but if you go back and you look at that game, you know, he, he threw one really bad pick and then another that should have been a pick and then made some, re- just made some really questionable decisions. But, you know, ultimately he figured out that, you know, if you throw it to Keon Coleman, when, you know, he got, he's got one-on-ones, you can do some things, but you know, he's not, he's not played all that great, especially in the passing game. But even, even at that, if I'm choosing between Jordan Travis and Cade Klubnik for this game, I'm taking Jordan every time, especially given that this is the kind of game where you turn him loose with his legs. Not only for, you know, think about this. Not only is this a huge game, so you're going to do that anyway, but it's also, we, it's also followed by an open date. So, you know, he can do cold tubs for two weeks, <laughs> right? And then another factor to consider coming into this one is... Say what you want about Mike Norvell in some of the some of the games against lesser opponents where I think you could make the case that at times they've gotten too cute. But in big games, that he's been a great big game coach. Mike Norvell has been a great big game coach. Basically, every big game since he's been at Florida State. I'm talking about the the games against brand teams when he was over when his team was overmatched talent wise, then games like LSU last year and this year once the talent started to catch up. In all of those big games, Florida State has consistently overachieved. Now, there've been a number of other games like Boston College last week, Wake Forest last year, NC State last year. You could point to some of those and go, well, you know, in some of the some of the smaller games like They came up smaller, but in big games, Mike Norvell teams have consistently overachieved, outperformed expectations. So I think that's something you have to consider here too. Florida State's going to have some things in the works, some nice wrinkles for this game, just like they did against LSU, just like they did against Clemson last year to take that game to the wire. They're going to be in position to win this game just on the, on that basis. Now, finally, Klubnik is a good runner, but he's not the kind of running quarterback who's going to get Adam Fuller and the defensive staff passive and doing all the stupid spy stuff that I've complained about the last few years. Instead of doing all that stuff, they're more likely to just run their defense. And when Florida State had just run their defense in these kinds of games with uh, with some pressure packages and things like that put in instead of those, you know, those standard spy things. They've been much better defensively. And last year, Clemson needed some sudden change opportunities and trick plays to generate offense. And this year, I don't I, I don't think that will be even that'll be enough. I don't think the, the, the transition from DJ Uyunglele to Cade Klubnik is going to be enough. I don't think they have the playmakers on the outside to make a huge difference. And honestly, I don't think Klubnik is a whole lot better, especially when he's pressured. And I think Florida State's going to be able to get some pressure on him. He's going to get some, they're going to make some plays. Clemson will. 
but I don't think it's going to be enough. I'm going to go with, for the score in this one, I'm going to go with Florida State 38, Clemson 17. And I think Clemson's going to need to be plus two area in terms of turnovers or special teams, mishaps, that sort of thing, muff punts, that sort of thing, in order to win this game. They're going to need to be around the plus two area. But I think Florida State's going to win win this game. It's you know somewhere around a 70% likelihood, 75% likelihood in my view. Uh, and I think 38-17 is a pretty good place to start. I would not be surprised if it wound up being a bigger margin than that. We'll see, though. That's why they play the game. And Florida State's done plenty of things this year to give you pause of will they actually will they actually play, you know, and, and hit on all cylinders? Because if they hit on all cylinders, I think they win by more than that. But or are they gonna are you gonna see the team that, you know, nearly blew it down the stretch against against Boston College in those that last 17 minutes? I don't think you're gonna see that team. I think you're gonna see much more the team that played in the second half against LSU. And I think that team's good enough to beat this Clemson team by you know, 17 plus. We'll see. This has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank my advertising partners, EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate at shenrealestate.com and the Research Triangle of North Carolina, Garage Makeovers in South Florida. And then, of course, if you have not stopped by the Unconquered podcast shop at unconqueredpodcast.com. You can buy stickers and all sorts of other gear. Go ahead and do that. Always helps support the podcast. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Dave Blair, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.